Hello, and welcome to the Healthy Balanced Birth and Beyond podcast. I'm Olivia, your host, and on this podcast, we will talk about everything related to the journey to conceive, pregnancy, labor, birth, postpartum, parenthood, and beyond. This is a safe space where birth professionals, birthing people, expected parents, and partners can come on and share their knowledge or personal experiences with our listeners. The goal of this podcast is to create connections, share stories, information, and resources to educate and empower people in their own personal journey. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Healthy Balance Birth and Beyond podcast. We have Gabby back with us today to continue sharing her story with us. Last time we were talking about how her symptoms of preeclampsia and her help syndrome were kind of being exacerbated, exacerbated, excuse me, and also were misdiagnosed by her doctors. So Gabby, would you like to jump right in and continue telling us your story? Yes, thank you for having me again, and um, thank you, listeners, for joining us on this on this journey. Um, where where we left off was kind of a cliffhanger, but a perfect stopping point. And so, I want to just jump right into uh, the fact that at twenty three weeks uh, of pregnancy, and this is you know after a couple of weeks of what. I now know was a very slow buildup towards a very fever pitch for my preeclampsia and my help syndrome. At 23 weeks, um, the symptoms are just completely out of, out of control. I am feeling I'm at my lowest, I'm at my worst. And I know in my, in my gut that something was wrong and that I needed to be seen immediately. My husband and I, we rushed to the hospital at 23 weeks of pregnancy. When I had arrived, I was 190 over 120 for my blood pressure, which is a, an insanely high <laughs> blood pressure reading. Um, when the doctors told me that I was at risk for a stroke, um, I was dumbfounded. I, I really thought that strokes were something that happened, you know, to old guys in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. I, I had never even imagined that this was something that could happen to someone like me. I was a young woman. I was 31, female, um, didn't think that that could happen. But um, we learned very quickly that that this is what preeclampsia can do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very scary. It is a very, very scary uh, disease and it, and it and it's a very volatile monster it can kind of show up out of nowhere and um, get very screaming raging mad mm-hmm. and other times it can kind of be this little quiet lamb in the corner and that's kind of what I had experienced I was admitted into the hospital for a week and it pretty much throughout my entire hospital stay during this week of being 23 to 24 weeks pregnant it was just this up and down, very volatile experience. Mm-hmm. And it was um, very uncomfortable. Um, probably one of the worst points of my life in terms of how sick I was, how awful I felt. Um, for anybody that out there that, um, that's been sick like that in the hospital, you know that at this point, you're going to be, you're being administered the magnesium sulfate. And that is, while it's an incredible life-saving drug, it just makes you feel so horrible. Mm-hmm. It, it, 
makes you want to vomit. It's nausea inducing. Your body temperature is like, you're like on fire. I remember just being so hot from this drug and it, and it enters your body and you can feel it through the IV coming in. And it's just this, I mean, it's, it's massively amazing in, in terms of what it, what it does, but it just makes you feel terribly lousy. Right. And that was my whole week. I was, my husband and I were, um, pretty much camping out in the hospital. You know, I was, I was in the antepartum wing. Um, and I had no idea what antepartum was, you know, I, I knew about postpartum. I had no idea that there was this other part of the hospital called antepartum. And, uh, and really it was just designed to keep a pregnant woman pregnant for as long as possible, as long as it's healthy to keep her pregnant. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were, that's what our goal was, was for me to try to stay as pregnant for as long as possible uh, and keep me healthy and keep the baby healthy. Right. And, and during this week, um, I met with a lot of doctors. I met with a lot of nurses. There was a lot of talk about when we go into labor, which it wasn't an if, it was a when. Right. Um, for listeners out there that are not familiar with help and or preeclampsia, um, essentially, there's no cure other than pregnancy. There's no cure other than, I'm, I'm sorry, not pregnancy, but delivery of the baby. Um, doctors can detect the symptoms. They can try to control the symptoms. They can try to treat them, but, but there is no cure. The only way to rid the body of of preeclampsia and help is to deliver the baby because essentially uh, these diseases sort of they're the, the body is rejecting the pregnancy the body is fighting off the pregnancy like it was you know a foreign invader and and in many ways if you think about it it is you know when when you get pregnant you have this um new entirely new organ that starts growing inside your body the uh, your um Placenta? Oh God, why can't I think of the word? The placenta? <laughs> the placenta, yes. <laughs> the placenta is like this entirely new organ that, that is growing inside of you. And then you have this human growing inside of you. Mm -hmm. And in my case, um, my body from very early in the pregnancy, unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst to my doctors until these symptoms really started to show, um, my body was fighting off the, the placenta my placenta was, I think, in the fifth percentile or something like that for growth. It oh, was wow. very, very small. Okay. It should have been much bigger and much more robust than what it was, which really explained why my daughter was so small at birth. Right. She was um, 11 ounces. So she just wasn't, she was very stressed in utero. She wasn't getting uh, enough nutrition. There wasn't enough amniotic fluid. So my body was just reject was rejecting my pregnancy. And at, um, on Sunday, August 16th, 2015 at 9.01 AM, I delivered my baby via emergency C-section. We had tried our very best to keep me pregnant as long as possible. I was pregnant for about another week in the hospital. And it was, like I said, one of the most hellish weeks of my life. And very early in the morning, on that Sunday morning, I my symptoms just started to to go haywires again. It was high blood pressure, um, extreme pain in my chest that was from the blood pressure, 
um, difficulty breathing. Mm-hmm. I needed oxygen. Um, at one point we lost the heart rate, you know, my daughter's heart rate, they couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. And that was really scary. So this was before you delivered her, correct? This was just, these, you know, just okay. moments before. Yeah. Like, but I think it was like an, a couple of hours right before we realized we needed to deliver. Okay. Um, this whole entire week I was very labile. I was very up and down with my symptoms. Some days were fantastic. Other days I just, I, I felt horrible and, and things were not good. Um, I should also mention that a few times during the week when I was 23 weeks pregnant and in the hospital in the antepartum wing, one of the doctors had mentioned that, you know, another course of action that we could pursue would be abortion. And for me and my husband, that was complete, there was no it was just completely out of the question. I mean, it was not even a thought that had entered my mind, you know, and I had asked the doctor pretty frankly, I said, look, we know that our daughter is small, but other than that, Jeanette, we've been able to rule out the possibility of genetic abnormalities. We know that she has two hands, five fingers on each hand, you know, two, two, two feet, five, fing- five toes on each feet. We know she has a fully formed vertebrae, a fully formed head. And she's in there and she's alive. At no point, why, you know, why would I ever do that? Why would I ever want to do this? And he said, well, you know, I just want to let you know that with prematurity, there comes a lot of, you know, long-term consequences that could happen to your child. And, and, you know, I'm obligated to let you know that, you know, the risks of prematurity. And I want you to know what you could be walking into if your daughter is born at this early of a gestation and this, this size of, you know, this, this small of a size. And, you know, he told us that our daughter had like a, oh gosh, I'm I'm forgetting those numbers because they were so horrible and I wanted to forget them right away, but it was something like, you know, a 20% chance of survival. Mm -hmm. If she, if she survived past, you know, the, 24 hours of birth and she had you know a xyz percentage of of having you know cerebral palsy which is very common among um among premature infants um yeah. you know and just for those that don't know what cerebral palsy is it's it's basically um damage that has occurred to the brain right um trauma that has occurred to the brain through usually through pregnancy it can also come as a result of um you know um, substance abuse during pregnancy like alcohol or drug abuse um and it's and it's you know a lifelong illness that can present itself in many ways some children are affected um cognitively some children are affected physically Sometimes it affects both the cognitive and the physical development of the child. And so we knew, you know, going into this, not only was my life hanging in the balance, but the life of our unborn child was really precarious. It was very uncertain. We just, we were given such a wide range of possibilities, you know, from the beginning part of our journey, when we found out our daughter was going to be high risk. And then now at this juncture, when our daughter, when we're in the hospital, 23 weeks pregnant, we know that it could happen at any moment. We're being prepared 
Yeah, um, I just for that possibility. The thing and the thing oh, that go ahead. sorry, when you were talking and you were sharing, um, I'm shocked that your doctor provided that said that that was an option. Um, I understand that sometimes doctors say things like that because, like you said, they're trying to warn you about things that you may have to deal with in the future. But one thing that really, really frustrates me in terms of like the healthcare system is when they give you percentages um, in any in any area of medical treatment. Um, but specifically when it comes to pregnancy and birth, I was just talking to another woman I had on the podcast and they, the doctor, doctor told her she had 1% chance of having her own child and she went to mm-hmm. a different doctor and then she got pregnant. So it's just like, I just don't understand how they just give you these percentages because then in your mind, you're like, okay, well, my baby might not survive or like it just automatically brings you somewhere else. And so I'm sorry that that happened. I just felt, I felt like I had to say that because every yeah. single case is different. There are some cases that it, that something does happen, but I just feel like just like you guys had hope. It's your baby. Like you weren't going to yeah. just automatically choose that. But I mean, I guess I can see both sides. So sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> oh no, not at all. I think it's a good point to, 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 to kind of dissect a little bit. Um, you know, on, and I agree with you. I think that percentages and, and these outcomes, you know, these outcomes are based on statistics. You know, I, I recognize that they're not numbers that they're just pulling out of the thin air. They're based on data. It's based on national averages. But I think what's really important to recognize, like you said, is that every case is different and every mother and every child, every journey is different. And there are always outliers. There are always cases where you know, the national average, the national statistics are just not right. And the other thing that I think is important to note is that within the past, you know, my daughter was born, it's going to be going on five years. And within the past 10, you know, five, 10, maybe even 15 years, the science of prematurity and maternal health and fetal health all of that has advanced so quickly and so rapidly. And, and largely in part due to um, this growing, the growing number of premature birth and preterm labor, and also the growing number of, um, you know, maternal cases where Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's, there's maternal challenges throughout the pregnancy and, and the gestation. So, those numbers are probably outdated by now. And if you think about it, there's a lot of cases where like me and like my daughter, um, those numbers just didn't apply. But in the moment we had nothing to go off of. We had, we had no point of reference. Um, Nobody in my family had experienced preeclampsia this severe, this early. I, I did find out way after my birth that my aunt, um, had preeclampsia with her daughter, but she was born like at maybe 32 weeks, Mm -hmm. 34 weeks, something like that. So it was much later on in the pregnancy. And, you know, those, those risks and complications that we went through were not nearly as severe as, as what they had gone through, but we had no, we had no point of reference. Right. So our, our only sort of course of action was to trust the doctors under, you know, and understand that walking into this, the odds are not in our favor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think about it, our daughter was born at 24 weeks, weighing 11 ounces. Mm-hmm. The data that is collected on 
children of that gestation and of that size is overwhelmingly negative yeah. because because children at that point should still be you know marinating inside their their mom's belly mm-hmm. inside the uterus they should still be there right um and so you know we knew that the odds were not in our favor my situation was very grave our daughter was very small but we had hope we had tremendous faith we had tremendous hope we had tremendous love for this baby and my husband and i said look abortion is not it is not a word that that i would ever want to have to um to have to associate with me with myself mm-hmm. i recognize that abortion is an option it should always be an option given to women women should always have that option because there are situations extenuating circumstances where it's necessary um and so i respect that right and i respect that it's it's an option that women should be able to choose and should have that that available to them in our case we didn't want that because we very much wanted this pregnancy we very much wanted this child and we were going to do everything possible to try to give her the best quality of life the best life whatever whatever comes you know mm-hmm. and i remember having that conversation with my husband i said look if she's here for a day a week a month a year whatever it is we're going to love her fiercely we're going to protect her we're going to we're going to advocate for her and we're going to give her everything that we possibly can give in our lives and the rest is up to god the rest is in the hands of the doctors and quite frankly the rest is up to her you know each child is different that's something else that you know NICU parents need to recognize is that every child has their own certain strength and their own powers and their own their own you know constitution and and some children are are very strong and they make it out alive and they make it out well and other children unfortunately don't have as 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 easy as an acute journey and so it's you know it's we knew that going into this a lot of this was out of our control right you know um you just got me all emotional (laughs) (laughs) i can't imagine i can't imagine that um yeah i mean just even having that conversation i just can't imagine having to sit there and think about that. I mean, you, you are so, so strong and I commend you for sharing your story and for being brave enough to share it with not only me, but all the listeners and other moms or parents who have gone through situations like this or who are currently going through situations like this. You're giving them strength and hope and courage and everything. I mean, it's it's just, I'm, I'm grateful for you for sharing your story and for talking to us about this as hard as it may be. Thank you so much. Um, it's actually quite cathartic for me to be able to reflect. Um, you know, I do have my days where I become overwhelmingly caught up in my emotions and my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that um, that I wanted to share my story at some point. I knew that I wanted my daughter's example and 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 the. T- people out there to know that this is possible, that anything is possible, that children are amazing, that, you know, don't give up hope wherever you are in this journey. Um, Prematurity is scary. Mm -hmm. It is not an easy ride. 
it is filled with ups and downs. You know, the NICU journey, everyone says it's a roller coaster and, and it absolutely is. Um, but you can get through it and your children will amaze you and they will, and they will be your greatest teachers. I can say I'm, I'm 36 years old. My daughter's going to be five next month and she is my greatest teacher in life. Yeah. I was going to say that that's one thing that I've learned. Like my daughter just turned one and you always think going into it before you have children that you're going to teach them all these things and you're going to show them how to do all these things. But there are teachers. We yeah, learn so, so much from them every, every single day. It's just, it's mind blowing and their, their strength and their innocence and the things that they show us. It's just, it's incredible. I have a hard time putting it into words. Um, and yeah. I, I so agree with you that we sometimes we need to remember that they have so much to teach us instead of us mm-hmm. trying to teach them all these things. Um, yeah. But do you want to share a little bit about your about the NICU journey? Yes, I, I, I sure can. I want to just wrap up one last point. Yeah, um, sorry. Because it, it oh, no, that's OK. It just really does. It, it ties into um, kind of the conclusion of the story. Um, so. 24 weeks, my daughter's born, emergency Mm -hmm. C-section, 10, not even a week later, not even a week after my C-section, I lost my job. And talk about insult to injury. Talk about being at the most vulnerable point in, you know, of, of a person's life and then having the rug pulled out from under them. And that's how we felt because at the time, you know, I was working for a small private company. Um, I was, uh, they had a really awesome healthcare plan and I was, I had the healthcare for my family through, through my employer. And um, that was extremely difficult and, and emotional for us to go through. You know, we, we've, we're vulnerable. We are like deer in headlights, our tiny little, you know, not even one pound baby is fighting for her life in the NICU and all of a sudden I learned via email that my position was being terminated. Um, My boss at the time, I don't want to give this person the credit. I will say that um, he was gracious enough to allow me to maintain uh, my 12 weeks of maternity leave. So he kept me on payroll, full payroll and benefits for 12 weeks. And then after that, essentially the position was, was, was expunged, you know, it was terminated. Um, but that, that was a very pivotal moment for us. Um, you know, we, we did try to, we did try to see if there was any sort of legal recourse that we had. Um, unfortunately we did not have any legal leg to stand on because the company was private and it was less than 50 employees. And so where I live in, in Minnesota, Minnesota employee law, employment laws did not apply to this company. Um, but it was a really shitty thing to do. Yeah. You know, if I can say to that say, word, I was going to say to put it, to put it nicely. I think that would be a nice way to say it. it. It was a really shitty thing to do. Now, to be fair, my husband and I were, were pretty much talking about whether or not it made sense for me to go back to work anyway. You know, I, I after such a trauma, I was in no state of mind to go back to work. And now I do recognize that there are a lot and I've, and I've seen them on Facebook forums. I've seen them in the hospitals. I've talked to these families. I do recognize there are a lot of preemie families 
that do not have an option that they that they want you know one or both parents have to continue working um we were in a fortunate position that you know while losing my income and losing the health care were both scary and difficult and challenging things to navigate we were able to make it work mm-hmm. um and so you know with i had the 12 weeks of of my benefits and 12 weeks of pay and during that time pretty much for those 12 weeks i was still recovering from my c section oh yeah um i also very ignorant of me and unbeknownst to me at the time, I thought a C-section was going to be like easy peasy, you know, you go in and you don't have to push anything out and, and you just, you're walking the next day and, and boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I so stupid about that. No, I mean, Uh, I think you're right. There's, there's a lot of misconception about what C-sections are and I don't think people talk about the fact or kind of even tell you beforehand that it's a major surgery. It's a major it surgery. I mean, again, in hindsight, they are literally cutting you open mm-hmm. in half, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they are cutting through layers. Layers. And at this point, you know, even though I wasn't, I didn't have like a huge tummy, I wasn't, I wasn't like, you know, I didn't have a round, big, beautiful tummy as I'd wanted. I still had some extra layers of fat under there. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's skin and there's, layers of skin and fat and muscle and tissue and they're opening you up and they're taking out this most precious tiny little baby and the placenta and the doctors are trying to do it as gingerly and as carefully as possible so as not to you know damage or disrupt this baby and then they're stitching you back up you know Mm -hmm. and i thought again i think again by through pop culture there's this glorification of c-section like i remember growing up and uh, watching movies and and hearing things and i would say to my mom why would you have a birth you know that way why wouldn't you have a c-section because it was sort of glamorized it is right Mm -hmm. it and it still is today i think i think that's changing i think that narrative is changing um there's also this i want to just say this really quickly there's also this very ugly undertone of this 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 notion that if you if you had a c-section you didn't really have a birth oh goodness Um, yeah and and i'm just like what the f like where do people come up with this i just don't even I, that's something I, I agree with wholeheartedly. I agree that people, a lot of people do say that they don't consider like the, they don't consider everything that you go through. And what I always tell people is a birth is a birth, no matter how it happens, no matter what sort of like medical, um, interventions are necessary. It's still a birth. So to try and take that away from somebody or make it seem like it's less like, no, I, I, yeah. I don't have any tolerance for that, so. No, I think it's utter BS. Um, most people don't recognize that women that have to go through a C-section, it's not by choice. It's right. By, it's by force. It's because there is a real urgency to get this baby out. Right. You know, and, and, that, and so anyone that says that, I'm just like, Bye. whatever. <laughs> Bye. I'm not talking to you. 
Um, and and I and thankfully I have not at all experienced that. No one has ever said that to me. Okay, but good. you know, online on Facebook on forums, you know, you do see this narrative of people that say, "Well, C-sections are not really considered. It's not really like a. Did you even give birth?" It's like, "Yeah, sweetheart, I sure did." <laughs> um, but anyway, that's <sighs> that's a little side note. Side note. Um, side note. But but here I am, you know, not even a week after my C-section, still recovering. I lost my job. Mm -hmm. And that moment set us up for where we are today. Um, And I will, I will, I definitely want to share that part of the story, but to get to the NICU journey, I mean, I will say that my daughter spent six months in the NICU, 172 days. Um, We knew going into it that it was going to be long. You know, it was, we were, we were hoping that it would just be to her term birthday. So our daughter was born in August. She was due in December. Okay. So we were, we were hopeful. We were, we were um, praying that we would, we could just stay there through December, you know, like just stay for the duration of what would have been, you know, her, her, my pregnancy, the continuation of my pregnancy. And we were actually discharged in, in February. So okay. you know, two additional months. Um, longer than because, expected. Right. Well, longer than gestation, let's put it that mm-hmm. way. Um, at this point, we had no expectations, you know, and there was as hopeful and as positive as we were trying to be. And, and, and we were very careful about how we talked about this, but there was always this tiny little voice in the back of my head. And I think in the back of my husband's head of, well, what if we don't come home with a baby? You know, mm-hmm. what if she doesn't survive? What if she doesn't make it? There was, there was, especially in those early days, you know, the first month to two months, though, that was the, that was the scariest time for us because yeah. she was so small. She was so critical. Actually, we couldn't even hold our daughter for eight weeks. Oh it was two gosh. months after her birth before we were able to bring her out of the isolate and put her on our chest. Um, now, a lot of people may be familiar with the idea of, you know, kangaroo cares, you mm-hmm. know, um, skin, to skin, skin to skin. And believe me, that is, that is amazing. That is what it, it, it say. It, it not only helps the mother and the, I mean, it not only helps the baby, but it helps the mom and the dad, you know, mm-hmm. it's just so reassuring and bonding and just a sacred, sacred time. You know, I have been finding myself recently thinking back to those days in the hospital of just holding my daughter on my chest. And she was so tiny that, you know, she, <laughs> she fit right in the, in the space between my breasts, you know, Aww. she was just so small and as scary as a time as that was, it was also so beautiful to be able to witness a miracle, to be able to witness um, life right before our eyes, I'm getting emotional thinking about this. And, and I've been thinking lately about those, those precious moments when, you know, she was sort of out of the red zone, so to speak, and, mm-hmm. and we knew she was going to make it. We knew she was a fighter. We knew she was strong, um, just holding her. But it was eight weeks before we could actually do that, you know, because she was so critical. She was so tiny. Mm-hmm. The doctors were honestly concerned about 
you know, moving her or jostling too much to her too much. Mm-hmm. She also had, you know, she was intubated and she was so tiny that the instruments, you know, the, the, the tubing and the wires were so, so, so tiny. And, and, you know, any movement could, could cause damage to, to her esophagus and to her palate. And actually, um, because she was intubated, she was intubated for about four months out of the six in the NICU. And her, the roof of her mouth, her, her upper palate is actually kind of con, con, convex or concave. It's, it's, it's like curved higher mm-hmm. than what is typical um, to accommodate the tubing. So you, you'll kind of see that, she, you know, if you were a doctor, a dentist, you would notice that the, her upper palate is kind of rounded out even greater than you know, you or I or anyone else. Right. Um, she also sustained trauma to her her esophagus, um, and that that presented itself later on in life, later on in her life, in terms of being able to drink and swallow, right. and you know that that whole um, you know suck swallow suck swallow breathe pattern, yeah. which is so innate to children as they're first born. Well, our daughter never sort of experienced that right away because she was intubated you know that and that was life-saving she needed to be intubated in order to survive um, to survive and you know for for listeners out there that are not familiar with this um she because she was born so early in the gestation her lungs were not they were fully formed but they were not mature they were not ready to start pumping and breathing you know on their own um it's not until I think week 32, 33, 34, somewhere in there where the lungs start mocking, uh, the, the mimicking the, the sensation of pumping and opening and closing in utero. Yeah, that's actually, um, side note, that's actually part of the thing that is supposed to like help your body get ready to go into labor is the baby's mm-hmm. lungs signal something within the mother's body that are like, okay, my lungs are ready. Now we can, now I can be born. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Very early on, um, our daughter had to have a surgery. Um, she had what's called a PDA ligation, patent ductus aortis. Okay. Uh, there, there is um, a valve in in utero that's open, and it's between. It, it kind of connects the lungs and the heart, that whole cardiovascular system. And in utero, it's open to allow for oxygenated blood to flow through the lungs and the heart. But, you know, uh, when you're out of utero, <laughs> you don't need that little that little valve anymore. Actually, it's detrimental. It, it causes a lot of um, fluid buildup in the lungs, which prevents the baby from being able to use their lungs properly. And if not, if not, um, you know, um, treated, it could it could basically suffocate the child. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we were given, she was given two rounds of steroids. I, at this point, I forgot the names of the steroids. We had two rounds of steroid to try to close that valve. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they it would not close. So we had to have this little surgery. And that was the scariest, probably the next scariest moment of my life after going through everything we've been through. How old was she? When... She was about probably close to a month old, you okay. know, so she was... They were trying to prolong this surgery so that she could get to a pound. And I think she was just shy of a pound um, at that point. And it it was performed by a heart surgeon. And, you know, he goes in through the back side of the baby. So they 
kind of makes an incision through the rib cage mm-hmm. and he sutures up that little valve. Wow. One of the things that he told us is that, you know, he's working with such a very small canvas as he right. put it. And one of the, 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 the side effects that could happen is vocal cord paralysis on the left side because the heart is on the left side and there's, there's a, um, a nerve mm-hmm. that's kind of, that kind of goes from your heart to the muscle and, and to your, um, uh, vocal cord and we thought well, I don't give a shit about the vocal cord I'm concerned about her lungs I'm concerned about her heart but that her was life. you know something else that we learned when she was around two almost three the uh, the, the long-term effects of uh, of that surgery and how that has affected her she, she had a lot of trouble um, being able to bottle feed being able to eat properly because I will say, again, I will say this for the benefit of our listeners, because I didn't know any of this. Um, your vocal cords, you have two on either sides of, of your trachea. Mm-hmm. Um, and they close, they come together and they seal off your airway when you're drinking or swallowing or eating to prevent aspiration into the lungs. Well, because of this surgery, which was life-saving and there was no two ways around it, she had to have it. She, she does have a, a paralyzed vocal cord, so, you know, her voice is a little raspy, a little soft, um, but it, and that part, I don't, I don't care, you know, she could become a singer, and that could be a, a, a unique feature to her voice, um, but it was the challenges around eating and swallowing, yeah. and the challenges around um, feeding that have plagued us for a very long time. Um, but moving along the NICU journey, because it was a very long journey, um, you know, those were some of the early, early stuff that we had, we had gone through. Um, as I said, she was on, she was on the rest on a ventilator for four, about, about four months. Um, then she graduated to a high flow nasal cannula and eventually a low flow nasal cannula. This was around December of 2015. And it was around that time where we were finally able to start trying to bottle feed with her. Okay. Um, I was able to produce milk. I did my, my milk had come in, oh, wow. which is pretty miraculous. Yeah. I and mean, I was told like that this is like amazing. And again, I was just so ignorant to breastfeeding and, and to the machinations of how the body produces milk and everything. And right after literally just a few hours after my c-section a nurse comes in with flanges and she opens my get nightgown and she sticks them on me and she hooks me up to this machine and here i am like still groggy in pain from my c-section and i literally said to the nurse what the hell are you doing yeah (laughs) and and she's like sweetheart we you you have colostrum because i guess there was some leakage on my nightgown and I was sleeping and she, you have colostrum and we got to get that milk production going. And I felt like a cow at that point. I felt like <laughs> I'm just a milk cow right now, but it was, um, it was so life-saving for my daughter. I, I was able to, I was able to pump yeah. breast milk enough that, um, you know, at this point, you know, she's taking just tiny, tiny little bits of the milk through her nasal cannula, um, and at all my milk, we would store, you know, in a deep freezer. We, we ended up buying a deep freezer. I'm like, buy the best deep freezer you can find. I told my husband, go on Amazon, buy it now. Because I had no idea how long my breast, my, my milk supply was going to last. I had right. no idea 
how much I would produce. All I knew from from what I had been told in the hospital was that my baby needs this milk. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'm going to start pumping. And so that's what I did. I, I pumped religiously for three wow. months. Um, it was very hard in those early days to pump and not have the, not be able to hold the baby. Yeah. Um, you know, the nurses did try to stimulate production, you know, by, uh, by other methods. And they told me, and I took, you know, I ate those lactation cookies and mm-hmm. lactation tea and lactation pills and everything. Um, as soon as I was able to hold her, my milk supply kind of had a little bit of a, of a boost. The oxytocin. Um, yeah, but I was really only able to do it, you know, both physically, mentally, and emotionally for three months. You know, after yeah. that, my 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 milk supply started to go down anyway, mm-hmm. and it was very painful. You know, it, it's it's not a it's not soothing like you know. And I know that sometimes breastfeeding can be painful with a child, but there is the soothing bond of being able to you know Hold breastfeed baby. your baby mm-hmm. and those plastic flanges and the machine you know it's just not the same so no. but I was very lucky that my milk supply for those three months lasted us for the duration of our NICU stay wow so that was pretty miraculous that's that's amazing and also too that the that the nurses at the hospital were were so encouraging and supportive and telling you hey you have colostrum you're producing milk because that I'm sure that that absolutely benefited your daughter during her NICU stay I can I mean from a mother's instinct I would say that it absolutely did Mm -hmm. um I can't imagine you know and the NICUs they do have you know they do have um milk banks that can be used if a mom doesn't have have supply but I feel like that certainly contributed to just how well she thrived in the NICU. Right. Um, and, um, you know, we started breast, so we started bottle feeding in December and um, she just wasn't getting it. You know, it was very hard for her to bottle feed. Again, we realize now that it had a lot to do with the fact that her vocal cord was, was impacted through the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um and it was very evident towards the end of our NICU stay, you know, as she was getting older and, and we were getting more anxious and she was getting more alert and the nurses and the doctors were recognizing that, yep, it's time to let this family go. But the biggest challenge was her being able to feed. Right. And so towards the end of the NICU stay, she did have to have a G-tube placement, Okay. a peg. First it was a peg and then later on it became a G-tube. And that was... I, that is a definitely the G tube and the experience around feeding mm-hmm. is a topic for a podcast all on its own for an episode all sure. on its own. That experience that we went through, and so I won't, I won't, I will say that it was very challenging both most emotionally um, and mentally for us, and it was also physically challenging for our daughter to to get the hang of eating. You know, we went through many hours of. Of, of feeding t- uh, therapy and and PT OT, uh, you know, you name it. Um, but you know, she left the NICU in February of 2016 after six months. And kind of jumping ahead because I want to make sure that we we get through everything as much <laughs> as we can. There's there's a lot to cover in this story, but um, one of the things that I do want to mention is kind of where we are today. And yes, um, absolutely, I'd love to hear that. 
Yeah. So, you know, as I said, the feeding and the journey around the G-tube, that is an episode for another time. Um, I, I have a lot to share about that. Okay, we can do that. Uh, yeah. But um, so much emphasis in those early days post-NICU mm-hmm. was put on the baby. Mm-hmm. I, you know, at this point, I went from being a state hospital mom to a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Our daughter needed a full-time caregiver. And being a full-time caregiver to a child with medical needs, our daughter came home on, on continuous oxygen, one liter of continuous oxygen and a G-tube. Um, it is very challenging. And, and sometimes the mom, I know I felt like I was invisible. I felt like I didn't, I wasn't being seen. I wasn't being heard. I wasn't being valued as a mother. Oh, wow. And, um, and I don't think it was intentional. I just think that everybody, you know, our circle around us was just focused on the baby. And I think it's also, um, you know, part of pop culture, part of what we've been ingrained for so long is that um, you have a baby, then all the focus goes on the baby. Absolutely. You know, grandparents, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, everybody's focusing on the baby. But the real, but but the journey is is not just the baby alone. I mean, it's the dad, of course, mm-hmm. um, but it's the mother more than anything because of the the metamorphosis that she goes through. And I don't use that term lightly. I I mean that I'm very deliberate about that word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably not scientific scientifically correct, but emotionally, it describes what I had been through and and what all moms go through. You know, Absolutely. just having a normal uneventful, boring nine-month pregnancy is hard and is difficult. And that takes a lot of healing and strength and emotional strength to go through that. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that. And then you start adding, thank you. And then you start adding complications, you know, a high-risk pregnancy, all the complications that I had that we talked about in episode one around communication with doctors and not having things, you know, not being heard and not being um, honored by the doctors, um, going, having the horrible, no good, awful, yucky symptoms of preeclampsia and help, being in the hospital for a week in antepartum, losing emergency C-section, losing my job, six months in the NICU, you come home, and I'm bringing my baby home with tubes, with medical devices. She's got oxygen. We had um, something called a concentrator, which is like, you know, this this machine that, that sucks in the room air and it converts it to straight oxygen. Mm-hmm. And that thing is like a constant buzz and it's a constant like sound, sound in the background. Mm-hmm. And we had oxygen tanks for when we had to leave the house. And I was always terrified that the oxygen tank would explode. You know, that was like my fear. Yeah. Um, she had a G tube, she had a pump, you know, and, and having to wake up in the middle of the night and feed her every three hours. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I developed a late onset postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, mm-hmm. and PTSD from being in the NICU and kind of going through that medical trauma. And I didn't know what was going on. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, as I'm telling this story and as I'm reflecting from episode one to, to, to this episode, mm-hmm. I've mentioned many times the points where I felt ignorant, where I felt stupid, where I felt like I didn't know something. And 
I want listeners out there to know that it's okay if you don't know things. Mm-hmm. It, but but know that whatever you're feeling, because women, we are in tune with our body, we are in tune with our mind and our heart and our body. Know that if you are feeling something that doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. follow your gut, follow your intuition, mm-hmm. keep searching until you find the answers. Absolutely. And sometimes you have to search within yourself. And other times you have to search, you have to ask others to search like doctors and, and people around you. But I, I knew for a long time that I wasn't well, mm-hmm. but I didn't know why. And I couldn't put a finger on it. And I didn't know what was happening to me, but I knew that I was having um, uncontrollable thoughts and uncontrollable feelings Mm -hmm. and these very very vivid flashbacks and what I call like the movie reel that was playing in my head Mm -hmm. um and this movie reel was things that happened and also things in my head that 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 I thought could happen you know things that I was fearful of happening things that were my my deepest darkest fears and it was um this very very vivid movie reel and I remember um, when I finally recognized that I needed help, um, I had become suicidal and I had started mm-hmm. contemplating ways that I could take my life. Um, and, the, and, and, and the scary part was that I was trying to do it in a way that would minimize the trauma to my baby and to my ch- to my husband. But obviously that's, that's so, you know, wrong because any, any way that I would do that would cause trauma. Right. And when I when I had that realization inside me, when I had that realization, the wait a minute, this is wrong. I shouldn't be thinking about this. Why am I thinking about this? When when that little voice, that tiny, tiny little voice that was struggling to be heard when it came out, the hardest conversation that I had to have was admitting that to my husband. Yeah. And I remember he's a guy that, you know, doesn't really cry very much. You know, he's one that kind of keeps it all in. And I remember him crying and I remember him feeling like, wow, I have not been giving you the support you need. Mm-hmm. I, nobody has. And it's true. And, and I don't mean that to be in a negative way. I, uh, we had a wonderful support system. We had a wonderful um, support around us, but the journey of the mother of my journey, of my story had been sort of not forgotten, but just not honored. Mm-hmm. And, and I was holding it together so well. I was trying my hardest to hold it together. And I, I did, thankfully, I did um, receive counseling. I did go to counseling. I read a statistic just yesterday, actually, that said that I think it's 30% of um, women that that die between day one and day, three, day 365 of becoming a mother um, is due to, uh, largely to mental health, you know, you know, the PTSD and, and the people and, and the postpartum and, and those feelings, um, that's a really high number. You know, that's a, the, the, the maternal mortality rate in this country is scary oh, and man. it is awful. I could and talk it, about that for another whole other episode. 
So I'm amen, sister, because that is something that I want to be very involved in. I, and I, and I'm, I hope through this podcast, people will start to hear this and start to see this. And I know there are organizations out there working on this. The March of Dimes, we're very, we, we support the March of Dimes a, a lot through, through this journey. Um, but I did receive counseling, thankfully. I am very blessed to not have been one of those statistics. You know, I, I could have lost my life it, it, during the pregnancy. I, I was misdiagnosed twice. I had a very difficult, um, you know, birth itself, which could have, if, if I wasn't in the hospital at the right place at the right time, I could have died. Um, and then after this whole journey, despite everything that I had been through, despite everything that I had achieved, these feelings of inadequacy and, and these emotional challenges and the postpartum and everything and the PTSD, that is, that is real. That was potentially putting me at risk of becoming, you know, another statistic in this mortality rate. So I am very blessed and lucky to be here today. My daughter is very blessed and lucky to be here today. I want moms out there to know that sometimes you don't have the answer. Sometimes you don't know because you don't know what you don't know. And if you're a first time mom going through something like this, how are you expected to know about any of this stuff? Right. Um, but just, but again, my, what I would drive home is that, um, follow your gut because your gut is always right. Absolutely. And um, just to quickly tie up the episode, I know we're getting short on time. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we can talk, you know, for hours. Um, I want to give our listeners just a quick snapshot in time of where we are today. So, um, oh, here comes my daughter. Can you go with that? Oh, perfect timing. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom for 22 months. Well, I like to say stay-at-home, stay-at-hospital mom, then a stay-at-home mom for 22 months. Um, during during the time post the NICU, I, I had my own, you know, mental health journey that I had to go through and healing and emotional right. and, and all that stuff. Um, at just shy of 22 weeks, uh, sorry, 22 months, <laughs> 22 <laughs> weeks, that's a different story. Yeah. Just shy of 22 months, almost two years old, I knew that I wanted to go back to work. I knew that wow. my my career, as I had envisioned it, I had not achieved what I wanted in my career. I knew that I wanted to be, you know, that I wanted to work in no way, shape or form in my career plan. Did I want to be a stay at home mom? Okay. I'm very blessed that I did that. I'm very blessed that we were able to make that work because mm-hmm. uh, my daughter is thriving today. And I think it's because also in large part due to having a safe environment where she can grow at home. And we were medically isolating, especially during, you know, the cold and flu season. Right. Um, but at 22 months, I, we had another sort of external moment that pushed us to where we are today. The company that my husband was working for at the time, uh, it was a startup and it was going bankrupt. It was oh. losing its funding. So, you know, here's another, tr- another blip on our journey. You know, I lost my job right after our daughter was born. And then at almost age two, the writing was on the wall. The company was going bankrupt. It was all over the news. It, we still have um, two pay periods that have not been paid to us because <laughs> of everything that was happening in this company. And, you know, my husband and I had to make a decision. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, look, we can both go out and get 
you know, corporate jobs, or we can try to do something and try to make something work. And um, after the NICU journey, my husband took on some consulting work Mm -hmm. on the side to be able to make up the difference. You know, we went from a double income to a single income. So he was working full time and then he was also consulting. And both him and I are, have a marketing background. Okay. And so we took these, uh, you know, this small number of consulting clients that he had and, you know, his company went bankrupt and out of business. And we were left with this small little group of consulting clients and Mm -hmm. we decided to just jump in. So people think they were crazy that, you know, after going through everything that we went through, we decided to start a business. It's amazing. <laughs> so we thank you, thank you. So we started our company, Proofpoint Marketing, and you know it was really inspired by and and one hundred million percent. Uh, we are on this path today because of our daughter, because of everything we went through, and because we wanted to create a company that that would honor the family, you know, be family first. We are hundred percent remote. And I recognize that everybody today out there is remote. Right, right. We started our <laughs> company three years ago before, you know, the, it, the pandemic. And so, you know, we're remote, we have a flexible work culture. Um, and we believe in being family first. And, and that's that. really, you know, because of our journey. And um, I won't get into all those business details that they're on our website for anyone that wants to learn or anybody that wants to reach out to me and talk to me about that. Um, But, uh, but we started a company inspired by our daughter. And um, as I said earlier in the show, she is going to be five in uh, next month, literally um, a month from a few days ago, August 16th is her birthday. Um, it, It has been a journey. She has had, six surgeries in four and a half years she has a couple more um surgeries related to her vocal cord that we that we will have to um you know get to to do that hopefully in the next year or two uh, down the road um she's had she had an eye surgery to correct um strabismus she had a lazy eye Mm -hmm. lazy eye muscle she had her g-tube placement she had a couple of procedures on her vocal cord. So it hasn't been without its challenges. Um, every time she goes into the hospital, every time we have to put her under, you know, those feelings come back, the, the anxiety, the, the, the nervousness. But right. um, but overall, you know, she's a very healthy child. We're very blessed that um, her prematurity did not affect her cognition, did not affect her, you know, mental and cognitive abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she is very petite. She's 30 pounds. So she's, she's a small one. Um, but she has just, she's just the shining light. You know, everybody that meets her, everybody that knows her, all her doctors, um, perfect strangers in the street will come up to us and, and have come up to us in the past when Lana was just an infant. And we're just so magnetically drawn to her. Yeah. You know, she has this way of, of, of just touching you deeply. And I I think that, um, I mean, of course, all parents are going to say that about their child. And (laughs) probably, you know, I'm probably just overinflating it a little bit. But, um, but she really is an amazing person. She has not only touched the lives of, of so many people around her, but I truly hope that through this story and through this journey, we can 
give some hope to other parents that are going that, that are going through this or mm-hmm. something similar and just know that you know your children your, your your child is is worthy is loved they are miracles they are amazing whatever you have that you're going through with your child whether it's prematurity whether it's a congenital issue whatever it is um, and you're in the hospital and things look scary and things look dark just know that your child is is beautiful and is loved and you are doing the best that you can and you need to advocate for yourself you need to advocate for your child um and i'm, tr- I'm trying to wrap everything up as quickly no, as i can no, no. because i <laughs> it just, it's just with everything that you've shared in between last episode and this episode you've talked about your journey to conceive you've talked about your pregnancy you talked about how all of a sudden you had to get an emergency C-section. Not only did you have to go through that and you had to heal from that and recover from that, but then you also have your daughter who's a preemie and you had all of these things that you had to make sure that she had done. And then you had to be in the NICU and then you had to go home. And it's just, I cannot, I, I'm in awe of you. I really truly am. And then from there, then you, then you start your own company with your husband after losing both your jobs it's just <laughs> it's your your story is so full of hope it's so full of encouragement and it's just it's it's beautiful and it's messy and it's just I am so so thankful that we got to have this conversation that we had to that not only did we have this conversation but you shared such open raw vulnerable parts of yourself it's it's something that I feel that our society needs more of. People need to know that things like preeclampsia happen, that things like C-sections happen, and sometimes they are necessary. And no matter what, it's a birth is a birth. And then after that, you may have postpartum depression. You may have postpartum anxiety. And you may feel suicidal because you don't feel like you are supported. Everything mm-hmm. that you talked about is so, so incredibly important in the journey of being a parent. And I am so, I'm so incredibly, incredibly grateful for you to you for sharing that with us. Well, thank you so much. I, I am grateful to have this opportunity to share this story because for a long time I wanted to, and, and I, and I didn't know how to, and I, I wanted to have, you know, I wanted to share what, what happened because I think that, like you said, people need to know, mm-hmm. doctors need to know, medical professionals need to know, and they do know, you know, I, I, I never, ever want to take away from the knowledge and the empathy and the dedication of the medical professionals out there, because I had some truly, truly amazing doctors and nurses mm-hmm. um, and therapists that, that, that kept me and my baby alive today. And not only kept us alive, but kept us thriving. You know, there's so That's, many yeah too many for me to list on this podcast, but yeah. I know all of them and, and they're all flashing before my eyes that, that their faces and their names and their compassion. Um, and you know, the, the journey with our daughter was also a long one. I know we kind of, we kind of glanced over that quickly to kind of be able to get to, to, to the conclusion of this journey and to be, to be real. I mean, the, the journey is just beginning, you know, yeah. with, the, with premature babies, you know, you, you have, there is kind of a long, a long way to go before you kind of feel like, okay, you know, we're, 
we're here, we've made it. And, and then, and then you, then you get to the point where like, okay, my baby's no longer preemie, but she's got real issues that I have to deal with, like attitude problems and <sighs> talking back and, you know, not wanting to sleep at night and, and just kind of the unquote regular parent stuff. And, um, sometimes, you know, lately I, I have to remind myself, oh, wait a minute, we had this long journey. We had this crazy thing. Our daughter was like, so, so critical, but here she is today, you know, five years old, almost five. Yeah. Um, talking back, <laughs> giving me attitude, giving me a preview of what I'm going to deal with when she's a teenager. Mm. Um, and, but, but also just doing so much, you know, I know she yeah. her, her this little person has overcome so much to be here today. And uh, one, one final point that I, that I want to share with listeners. And again, you know, I know the topic of abortion is one that, that is very emotional and very political. Right. I wish that it wasn't political. I, I really wish that it, it, politics weren't involved in this. Um, and, and my feelings around abortion is, again, that, that it, is, it is absolutely necessary in our society and that it, it should, that, 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 that option should never be taken away from a woman. Um, but I do want to encourage people that may find themselves in a situation with their unborn child where a doctor is saying, hey, abortion is, is, is an option for you. If you feel like you're, you, you know, you want to honor the life of your baby and your baby and you have faith and you have hope and you, or whatever it is, whatever the outcome is, as, you know, as long as you are healthy as a woman and your life is not compromised by continuing the pregnancy. I, I think that, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be able to do that and to be able to, like you said earlier in the conversation, not be hung up on statistics because my daughter was a statistic. Mm-hmm. She was a, st- she was not, she is by statistics, not even meant to be alive today. Right. So I, I think that, you know, again, I don't want, this is not meant to be political whatsoever. Um, this is just a mom from my experience, knowing that um, while abortion was presented as an option to us, I am eternally grateful that we didn't choose that option because we wouldn't we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't have this beautiful person in our lives today. I know that sometimes um, that option is presented and, and it seems like, oh yeah, you know, just do it. But I think that, you know, if, if it's not something you want to pursue, don't pursue it. Right. Keep your pregnancy, keep your baby, keep your health first and foremost. I'm, I'm very passionate about maternal health. I'm very passionate about ensuring that the life of the mother is preserved yes. and the life of the mother is honored at every step of the journey. That is so valuable. Mothers are the backbone of our society, and boy, do I know that now. Mm-hmm. Um, Amen. But I, but I just wanna, I just wanna say that you know that that little story of hey, you can abort. It doesn't have to be your answer. It doesn't have to be your solution. Mm-hmm. And and I just you know I'm eternally grateful that that we didn't make that choice because we wouldn't we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't have our daughter today. And um, I wanna. Again, I just hope that this this story really does provide some some hope and some love, and allows other women and families and, and dads that are going through something like this or something similar to know that you're not alone, 
to know that you have a beautiful story and a beautiful family and a beautiful life and a beautiful baby and you will get through it. There will be dark times. There will be times of loneliness and times of despair, but um, the journey is also one with with a lot of beauty in it and a lot of, um, you know, you're witnessing a miracle. And um, I want to say that if, if any listeners out there want to get in touch with me or want to connect with me, I'm, I'm more than happy to do so. Um, if my story has resonated with you and if, if you need help or guidance, certainly come to Olivia because she knows what she's doing and she's a resource of, of great wealth and knowledge as well in, in, in pregnancies and, and all of that journey. But um, I'm also happy to connect out there and I hope to just provide some some inspiration and yeah. some love and some guidance to yeah. our listeners. So thank you for that, that beautiful closing. That was very nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to be including all of your information in our show notes for people to reach out to you. Or if they want listeners, if you want to reach out to me and I can reach out to Gabby for you, whatever you guys feel more comfortable with, everything is going to be included in the show notes. Um, thank you, Gabby. Thank you so, so much. And happy early birthday to your sweet girl. Thank you, thank you. Um, I can't wait to share this story and I can't wait to to hear other people's stories and I'm sure you're going to you're going to have people who reach out to you that share their stories. So thank you so so much. I a million times thank you. <laughs> um and thank and you. I I reciprocate. Thank you for for giving me this space on your podcast. You know, not one but two episodes. <laughs> um and my name is Gabby and I certainly live up to that. People tell me all the time that I'm Gabby. <laughs> so thank you for um indulging me and allowing me to to share this and um and share this with your precious audience and I really appreciate it and and thank you for doing what you're doing for creating a space and creating um awareness to everything and and beyond about moms and babies and pregnancy and um thank you for what you're doing thank you that was so so sweet (laughs) um yeah that was just I appreciate that so much and that's exactly what I want this platform to be I want this to be a safe space for people to come on and share their stories experiences so other people can learn and benefit from them and feel feel compelled to share their own story so Thank you so, so much, listeners, for joining us this week. Thank you, Gabby, and I hope you guys all have a great weekend. Bye.